Let me begin this morning with the quote I've included in your guide. It's from the author Paulo Coelho, and he writes, The life of a free person is an offense to those attached to appearances and rules. The life of a free person is an offense to those attached to appearances and rules. Well, good morning. We are not currently in a sermon series, so as we often do, I turned to the designated gospel reading for this Sunday in the lectionary. Turns out it's incredibly appropriate for the time we are living in right now, so let me read it for us. It's Matthew 9, 37 through 10, 23. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. And he said, As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold and no silver or copper in your belt, no bag for your journey, no extra tunics, no sandals or staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, then let your peace return to you. If any will will not welcome you or listen to your words, then shake the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Let me break in and interrupt the scriptures here for a moment to say that this uh, mention about Sodom and Gomorrah by Jesus, it's included here because that story is a story about hospitality and exploitation, It's not a story about non-sanctioned, consensual, sexual relationships between adults. Back to the scripture. So Jesus continues, See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over and they block you and they unfriend you and they belittle and gaslight you on social media or at the upcoming 4th of July barbecue, do not worry about how you are to speak and what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your divine parents speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all because of my name but the one who endures to the end will be saved we hear the voice of god in the reading of these words thanks be to god what a time for us to be reading these words the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few So ask God to send out more laborers. It's harvest time, Jesus says, and unfortunately there are far too people, far too few people willing to do the work, the labor, 
to harvest. And that's who I want to talk to this morning. I want to talk to those of us who are being asked to labor and to join in with the struggle for dignity and safety that's due to every human being by birthright. Specifically, I want to talk to those who are on the fence about joining in or feel like their only option of participation is to be the caricature of wokeness that's belittled by some loud narrative gatekeepers on the extreme. Over the past several weeks, I found myself feeling a wide range of feelings and responses to the time we are living in with marches and protests and violence and movements for reform and abolition. I'm reviewing a lot of history, and I think significant history is being made and documented these days, largely because we have phones that can do that. And I I feel a lot of gratitude to be alive through this right now. I think it's a turning point for our society. I think it's a culmination time. It's a time of reckoning, accountability, and change. It is, to use the language of our scriptures this morning, a harvest time. Can you see it? The Black Lives Matter movement is being carried all across the globe and attention is being given like never before to the many ways that violence is enacted against black, indigenous, and other people of color. It is harvest time. And more of us are being called to participate, not because we are the owners and the CEOs and the managers of the harvest field. Nope, not because we are the benefactors that donated seed and fertilizer. Not because we have the right techniques for harvesting and processing. No, our brothers and sisters of color who have been doing this work for 400 years, they know all this better than us. They are our instructors in harvesting change and in embodying voice and God-given anger. The field has been watered and fertilized with their blood and their sweat and their dignity and their resources. And we are being invited to be laborers, not saviors, in that field, because it's the laborers that are few, Jesus says. After Jesus tells his followers that they need to pray for more laborers, it says he gathered them together and he told them, time to go to work, time to cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. He he doesn't say, let's wait for the opportune time. When the narrative shifts and the and more momentum builds around this movement, or let's wait until it's more clear that history will write you into the hero rather than the villain category. He doesn't stop with his thoughts and prayers for laborers in the harvest field. Instead, he kicks them out of the nest like a good mama bird does, and he sends them out with a pretty tall order. He says, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Can you imagine them hearing these instructions? What? You you want me to do what? You want me to cast out what and raise the who? Seriously? Maybe you feel like this is what's being asked of you right now as you enter into the labor of anti-racism and anti-white supremacy harvest work. Maybe you feel overwhelmed like I would imagine they did But wait, there's more good news, Jesus says to them while they're trying to process all of that. He says, some of the homes that you come to will welcome you, and some will laugh at and mock you to your face. When that happens, just shake the dust from your feet because it's not about you. Their arguments against you will often be personal 
ad hominem attacks like, you traitor, you uncritical snowflake, or you'll understand more when you're older, and all of the missteps and slip-ups will be pointed out publicly. But this work isn't about you or your feelings or your ego. It's about the harvest. So, Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus continues, it's likely that you'll be handed over to the most uncivil of civil authorities, and worse, you'll likely be at odds with your own family members. They will disagree with how you harvest and when you harvest and that you aren't following all the sanctioned harvest decorum. To quote Paulo Coelho again, the life of a free person is an offense to those attached to appearances and rules. And so, all of this work that you're going to do, all of this labor, it will come at a cost. And then Jesus concludes with, the one who endures to the end will be saved, or the harvest season is long. This is an intergenerational endurance event. It's not a sprint. Now, so far, I haven't spoken to really what I think is the most important part of this text, and it's the word harvest. Harvest, that word, of course, it means a couple of things. It means gathering mature food before it spoils in the field, but it's also used in our scriptures several times to refer to bringing people into God's kingdom, into God's wholeness, into a system where life for everyone flourishes within God's abundant life, where the lion and the lamb live together in peace and where resources are allocated to books, not bullets and batons. I believe we are living in a divine harvest time right now. And what are we being called to labor for? Where is the Spirit of God at work in our world today? What is coming to fruition? Open your eyes and look around and see that the harvest of our time right now is the right to breathe. The right to breathe. So let me center that for the remainder of what I have to say. Across our nation and our world, our brothers and sisters in humanity are saying to us and to the systems that we have created and we uphold every day, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It's a distilled condemnation of the innumerable ways that they live with a knee on their neck. It's the most damning and prophetic sermon I've ever heard. Write it on your mirror. Tape it to your refrigerator. Tack it up on your wall. It's the most powerful sermon that you will hear that can be uttered. It's a sermon, a prophetic sermon, a sermon of condemnation. It's a true word crying out for us to hear. I can't breathe. It judges us. It holds us in contempt of human dignity. I can't breathe. And I'm asking you, people of God, to pay special attention to this sermon. Because truth is, if anyone should care about breathing, it should be spiritual people. In our tradition, it is said that God breathed everything into existence. Our scriptures say that God spoke, but we know that speaking and singing are really just fancy ways of breathing. God breathed everything into existence, and that God enlivened our own bodies with 
uh, God's divine breath. And in fact, the word breath in our scriptures, it's the same word for spirit. And so I submit to you today, there is nothing more spiritual, no more spiritual work that we could do than helping people breathe and listening to them when they say, I can't breathe. We live in a world and a society where not everyone has the same access to breath. Often when someone says, I can't breathe, it's because the knee of police brutality and immunity is on their neck and they literally can't breathe. There is tremendous harvest work to do here and the laborers are few. You can fight for and demand reform. You can be one of the laborers here, especially if you are on the inside of this system in any way. You can labor for breath in this way. Sometimes when someone says, I can't breathe, it's often because the knee of incarceration and the prison industrial complex is on their necks. According to Michelle Alexander, author of The New Jim Crow, a book I cannot recommend highly enough, one in three young African-American men will serve time in prison if current trends continue. And in some cities, more than half of all young adult black men are currently under correctional control, like prison, jail, probation, or parole. They can't breathe because they live in a system that does whatever it can to make sure that black communities are upended and that black men have criminal records in order to stigmatize and control them and to cut off future economic and housing opportunities. This is the new Jim Crow, the new covert white supremacy, and it's being exposed for what it is during this harvest time. It's pretty well known and accepted that the war on drugs was largely a proxy war against black communities, and that in itself has contributed to mass incarceration of people of color. This, too, is being, knowledge of this is being harvested right now. That is becoming more uh, aware and coming more into the mainstream consciousness. But the laborers are still few to fight for this. Maybe you can fight for legal reform regarding drug laws and prison sentences and mass incarceration and over-policing of communities of color. When someone says, I can't breathe, it's often because the knee of economic violence is on their necks, restricting access to resources, education, housing, the labor market, etc. Think of the practice of making those with a felony record ineligible for public housing or the redlining by the federal government to prevent home loans being granted in black communities, or the proliferation of exploitative financial products and institutions in black communities, or the 1929 City of Austin Master Plan developed by the Masters, I guess, in which they decided they wanted to take desirable land from black communities and relocate those communities east of I-35 into the undesirable industrial area of the city. The city literally cut off utilities to black communities who refused to move. All of this, it's economic violence. It is a knee on the neck and it destroys generations of wealth for communities of color. 
if economics and finance and city planning, if these are some of the intersections at which you stand and you have expertise, how can you labor? How can you be a part of this harvest? How can you be an answer to Jesus' prayer that God would send laborers into the harvest? Because the harvest is plentiful, but there are few willing to get dirt beneath their fingernails and beneath their white collared shirts. When someone says, I can't breathe, it's because of their lack of access to adequate uh, and affordable health care and other social determinants of health, like clean air, safe workspaces, etc. The early data seems to indicate that people of color are overrepresented by COVID infections, illnesses, and deaths. I'm praying that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the field, which means that if you work in anything related to health care or health care policy, that you will labor to remove knees from necks through how you give care at the bedside or how you create spreadsheets and PowerPoints and policies because you aren't merely doing your job when you do this. Instead, you are laboring in God's harvest field. I hope you can see it that way. When someone says, I can't breathe, it's because they are at an underfunded and under-resourced school. I mean, we could go on and on and on talking about all the ways that people cannot breathe in our society, talking about lack of access to adequate food, talking about gerrymandered voting districts and voting machines that don't work, talking about how theology and faith has been co-opted to only be about getting people to heaven, but not about getting them to be laborers in God's harvest fields. But open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. That's not a question. There is so much good work to do, and it is harvest season. That's not a question. There is so much work to do to transform and change our society so that access to breath is more equitable. That's not a question. The question is, will you labor? Will you labor? Now, you don't have to labor like me, and I don't have to labor like you. The Apostle Paul says, we are many distinct parts with distinct jobs, but we make up a unified body. The eye doesn't do what the hand does. The hand doesn't do what the leg does, and so on. We all have different roles, but we are all called to the harvest field. We are all called to labor. So, will you bring the skills that you have, your unique knowledge of your industry, your unique passions, and will you labor? Will you engage your unique areas of influence, like with your family members, your children, your friends, your colleagues, and will you labor? Will you respond to the breath of God that's blowing across our world, calling us to labor for a harvest of breath? May God give us courage and creativity as we each respond to that call. Amen.